What's going on, everyone? And welcome to episode 19 of the Leafs Lion Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Mario Russo. And joining me for tonight's show is, uh, we're, we're short of crowd here. It's Father's Day weekend. It is Father's Day, at least today. And on top of the show, I'd like to thank all the fathers listening for uh, tuning in and just for doing everything you always do. And it goes without saying, that's one of the big parts. Uh, not, personally, I'm not a too big a fan of Father's Day. I think every day uh, should be equally Father's Day, whatever you want to call it. You should treat your dad the same every day. There may be ups, there may be downs, but at the end of the day, they do everything for you as a kid. And uh, they're very important aspects in our lives, people we look up to. So uh, yeah, I want to just wish off the top of the show, happy Father's Day to all the listeners out there. And uh, thank you for your support and thank you for tuning in. But we're going to get into a lot today. Obviously, I'm not with my usual crowd, my bony Josh and Aiden. They're all out with their families, uh, as should I. My father's just chilling in the backyard, having a good time with my mom. So I'll just be doing the show off the top today. And we got a lot to get into. Uh, we're down to the final four teams in the uh, Na- National Hockey League's playoffs. New York Islanders, Tampa Bay Lightning, and of course, our Canadian team, our North Division champions, champions the Montreal Canadiens, and the Vegas Golden Knights. Now, the New York Islanders and the Tampa Bay Lightning are tied at two apiece. Uh, the New York Islanders have gotten a lot better against these high-level teams like the Tampa Bay Lightning than they were last season, where they got defeated 4-2 to two, uh, in their series that advanced the Tampa Bay Lightning to the finals. As we all know, they went on to win the Stanley Cup in 2020. Uh, they're looking to make different plans and spoil the Tampa Bay Lightning's plans of a repeat especially with last night's crazy win on Long Island, sending Nassau Coliseum into hysterics, a game-tying, or game-tying, game-saver uh, on the line. It wasn't from the goaltender. Varlarmov was way out of his net in this one. And with this dying seconds of the third period, bunch of uh, Tampa Lightning trying to mend a comeback, one of the comebacks for the ages in the third period. They just couldn't get it done. They went to two goals. They tr- tried to get the third one with Ryan McDonough. The puck on his stick spins around, break uh Empty net, and Pulak is right there to swipe it off the goal line and sends the game to a final, 3-2 to two your final there in Long Island. New York Islanders coming up on top, and more importantly, tying the series at two apiece. And it's been a great series for the New York Islanders. They've gotten a lot of production from their big guys. And we've talked about this on the other show, Episode 18, the Leafs Line Podcast. If you want to go look at that one, it's a great listen. Uh, we were talking about the New York Islanders and their identity, what they want to be against this potent uh, Lightning's defense, Lightning's offense, potent, potent Lightning's team that we already seen win a cup and what they do to win a cup. They wear you down on the offensive side of things and they still can beat you on putting up a defensive game. And we're questioning, well, are the Islanders going to just sit back? Are they going to be sort of Barry Trotz style, uh, sit back, wait, let the game come to them and sort of control from there? Or are they going to go all out guns blazing and like they did against the Boston Bruins where they outscored the Bruins and ended up shutting down the perfection line and ended up beating the Bruins? And advancing to face Tampa Bay. And it looks like as of right now, they're going the way that they've done all season, shutting down the Tampa Bay Lightning's offense and their big gun names. Now, we didn't see it too much yesterday, but it is a close finish. And we did, you can go back and listen, like I said, me and the guys were chatting about, it is going to be a series where if the New York Islanders want to get a win, it's going to be goals, but one goal games, two goal games, those kind of wins, those sort of defensive-minded games where you have a lead and you need to hang on to it to this Tampa Bay Lightning squad. And they did a great job of doing it last night. There was a bunch of shaky rides, bumpy ride to the final whistle. Uh, those final seconds included, as well as the heavy lightning mustering a comeback with Braden points, scoring his ninth goal in 10 games. What a hustle streak he has been on for his squad. Has really led the uh, the roster inside and out for the uh, series against the New York Islanders. But... The Tampa Bay Lightning, I don't know. They are a streaky team. They know how to beat you in the playoffs. They know how to play playoff hockey. And you can say the same thing about the New York Islanders. The series is definitely going to go to the distance. It's already tied at 2-2. But the New York Islanders definitely took a step in the right direction, really showing that they can hang on to a late comeback from the Lightning. And that's a big that's a big positive from the organization, from that group who want to so destinely, desperately want to go to a Stanley Cup final. They haven't been there for quite a long time. We were talking about that on the last week's show. It would be a great sight to see, but what might not be a great sight to see if they were to face the Montreal Canadiens in the Stanley Cup final. That would be the series of boring hockey and traditional defensive-minded one nothing, 2 nothing games, 2-1 games. You know, it's going to be close games on their front if that those two teams were to advance. But the New York Islanders are going to have to beat the Tampa Lightning in four games, and that's no easy task. We mentioned that the Tampa Lightning are obviously favored. As the big favorites in this series, they have all the pieces together. They have been relatively healthy uh, throughout the playoffs. They've had a lot of their pieces together. You can't say that about many other teams. 
but the New York Islanders continuously put up a fight, and it starts from the goal up. Farlarmov has been terrific in this series and has really made some big saves when he's had to. Um, the only times he's really gotten beat, and you could look at it last night's game as well, the only times he's gotten beat where he had no chance. The shots were too perfect. Uh, that's what Tampa Bay is really good at, making that perfect shot and capitalizing on those small opportunities. And they did that last night but couldn't get it simply enough of it. And that's why they fell 3-2, to two, your final in Long Island. But it's going to be an interesting series. It's going to go the distance, like I said. And if the Islanders want any chance of coming through, they're going to have to limit the Tampa Bay Lightning on the goal sheet. They can beat you. They can outscore you. They can outdance you. But you can't let them outplay you. And that's the big part for the Islanders that they're going to have to focus on if they want to see a series victory in their first trip to the Stanley Cup Finals in what feels like forever. I can't believe I haven't still looked up the stat of when they made to the Finals. I want to say the 90s, but I also don't want to make a lie here. So I don't know how long it's been for you New York Islanders fans, but it has been a long time coming. I know that. And it well-deserved because they've been going deep almost every other year in the postseason. And I'll look to do that against this Tampa Bay Lightning team that is potent, to say the least. Now we're going to go on the other end of the spectrum here and go to the next series, switching gears here. The Montreal Canadiens and the Vegas Golden Knights. What a series this has been uh, for the misfortune, rather. Montreal is actually leading, and I didn't think I'd be saying this this early, leading the series 2-1 to one against the Vegas Golden Knights. They're playing tonight, 8 o'clock, your uh, start time. You can find it on Sportsnet and CBC. And it's going to be a great matchup between these two teams. We're gonna, It's going to be interesting to see how Vegas responds after an ugly collapse in Game uh, What is it? Game 3 uh, in Montreal. Montreal had their fans going. Uh, they really got silenced early. Vegas took the first marker. And it was for the first time that Montreal in a long time, they took home a victory without scoring the first goal. You don't see this too much out of this team. That's been really the main storyline going through this entire playoffs with the Montreal Canadiens. If they score first, they win. That's their key to their success. They score the first goal. We saw it in the Winnipeg series tremendously. They score the first goal, and you lock down the entire game. Don't give them any space to breathe, any space to move. And, of course, you've got Carey Price back there making saves left, right, and center uh, to keep you within uh, distance. And the Montreal Canadiens didn't do that. Actually, Alex Petrangelo, I believe he was the goal scorer. I might be wrong. But he did score one goal, and that's a very key part about the Vegas Golden Knights. And something that you have to kind of shake your head at. They have six of their, I believe it's six of their seven goals in the series have come off a of defenseman. Six or six of seven or six of eight. They have six goals out of, it's a majority, coming from defensemen. Petrangelo has been red hot, to say the least. And he has really shown that he's worth that money he signed back in October with the Vegas Golden Knights. Now, he didn't have that great of a season. He actually got demoted. I was extremely surprised. He got demoted to the third pairing once for his lack of defensive play and his lack of offensive production. That's what he's known for in this league. He's not the greatest or fleetest of foot on defense, but he knows how to put the puck in the back of the net, and they simply couldn't get it done this season uh, with the Vegas Golden Knights. Obviously, you could name it on the new team, the Jitters, but it didn't ever happen throughout the 56 games that they played. And he was also a really relatively healthy. He never went down with any injury. So definitely a season for him to forget, but the playoffs just erases it all. He has been a force to reckon with and has really contributed to the not only the victory against the Colorado Avalanche in the Minnesota Wild, but has really put this series on its uh, – changed the tide of this series with his markers, his assists, and his play defensively. And he's been a uh, key part for the Vegas Golden Knights contributors and one of the leading contributors at that. But in Game 3, it was the Montreal Canadiens that did come on top. They completed the comeback after a ugly error in goal by Marc-Andre Fleury, playing in his hometown uh, of Quebec, at least, his home province. And he went to go behind the net, scoop a puck, and pass it to one of his defensemen along the boards, misplayed it, threw the wickets of him onto the stick of Josh Anderson and what you have you, right in the back of the net. And that gave the Montreal Canadiens the tie going late into the third. And, of course, heading into overtime, wouldn't be a Montreal Canadiens if they didn't score in overtime. And they capitalize on a beautiful goal by, oh, is the name going away from me here? I want to say Suzuki. I'm not too sure who scored the overtime winner simply because I don't care too much about the Montreal Canadiens. But it was a gorgeous feed, uh, two on one, and the Montreal Canadiens buried it and are sending it to another game four in Montreal. And what a comeback win for them. And the biggest storyline from that comeback win, without their interim head coach, uh, 
Dominic Deschamps. He was actually ruled out and won't be, as of right now, won't be with the team for the next 14 days. Is in isolation at his home due to a positive COVID test. He doesn't say he has any symptoms. He feels normal, and he did admit he feels like he did the week before. But he is out for the long run and possibly the uh, long term of this and the longevity of this series. And it's going to be interesting to see how the Montreal Canadiens respond to that. They already did it in Game Three, taking the uh, two uh, three to two. Uh, game final over the Vegas Golden Knights on home ice, sending the crowd into hysterics in Montreal and the parties kicking off on the Friday night. But they're going to go back at the drawing board here, Vegas, and they're going to try to beat the Montreal Canadiens on home ice. And home ice has played a big part in this series, at least for the Vegas Golden Knights. They won their first game on home ice, dropped the second game, and the Montreal Canadiens picked up a win on their home ice. So let's see if the trend continues here. Uh, Tonight is your game, but... Montreal Canadiens are going to have to look and find ways to continue to ride the success without their head coach, Dominic Deschamps. I'm not too sure. I believe it's either Burroughs or Richards who's taken the head coach role. I know Bergevin's really sending some messages from the press box and relaying it to their players. So there's obviously constant communication between the management and the players within the organization for the Montreal Canadiens. So it doesn't make too big of a difference. You already know Deschamps is coaching kind of from home, passing messages along with the players and readying themselves for this upcoming game, and like they did in the last contest where they won 3-2. to two. Uh, But the Vegas Golden Knights are going to have to be prepared. They're going to have to be ready on this home ice. The Montreal Canadiens still do have fans in the building. It is obviously a plus and an advantage on their front. It's, it is advantageous to have some home ice fans. We have seen it throughout this playoffs. Unless you're the Maple Leafs, who you have 500 supporters and healthcare workers, and you simply can't get it done on your home ice. However, that's a story for another day, and we've already sort of discussed the Toronto Maple Leafs' fate and fatalities against the Montreal Canadiens, but it is the Montreal Canadiens we're going to focus on, and they're going to have to keep the streak going. And if you were to tell me that their top three scorers were uh, <clears throat> Corey Perry, Joe Armia, and I believe Eric Stahl's up there, not the top three, the top five, sorry, uh, that is my bad. If you were to tell me that those three were in the top five in scoring, I would tell you you're crazy and that they're going to go out in the first round, but they're already in the semis looking to make their first Stanley Cup appearance, first Stanley Cup final appearance since 1993, where they draw a lot of similarities with this squad as well as where they won the Stanley Cup and the last Canadian team to do so, uh, to lift the trophy. But it's going to be a tough battle. You already know Vegas is going to come out swinging. They never go down without a fight. And they're one of the teams that go far in the playoffs almost every year. And they do know how to deal with Canadian teams when it comes to late uh, presses. We saw it with the Vancouver Canucks when they came toe-to-toe with the Vegas Golden Knights in last year's bubble in Edmonton. I don't think this year is going to be any different. I think... Vegas is going to come up and bring a fight. We'll see tonight. They're going to need some production from Suzuki and Caulfield. That is an interesting story that I'm going to get into very briefly. Uh, These two players, Caulfield and Suzuki, it is interesting because if you think about it, the Montreal Canadiens went, and I'm going to talk about this later in the show with the uh, GM. We're going to be talking about the GM, Coach of the Year, and all that kind of stuff. All the awards that are going on and the awards that should have been going on during the NHL awards in a regular season, obviously, with COVID hitting the world. It is not a regular season. We'll get into that a little later, but Montreal Canadiens chose to go with veterans uh, last season. And Suzuki, he was still a rookie of that year, and he put up a terrific uh, outing in the playoff bubble against the Philadelphia Flyers as well as the uh, Pittsburgh Penguins. And... That's really where everyone got to know his name, got to know the type of player Nick Suzuki is, what he can be, and they got to see front and center his lethal shot that he carries. And now he gels gels uh, with the younger players on the team as well. I believe he was playing a Kotanyemi in last year's playoff bubble. This year it's not the case. He's playing alongside another kid who is extremely talented. I'm going to eat my words, Josh, if you're listening. You know how much I felt about Cole Caulfield heading into the year before he even touched NHL ice. I thought he wasn't ready. I thought he could never get it done on the international stage with his USA development team. And he was tearing up college hockey for the Wisconsin Badgers, won a championship with that team as well, alongside his brother Brock. But it's college hockey, and Cole Caulfield was just destroying it. I didn't think it was legit, but he's really showing how much he could do. He's actually the leading goal scorer and the leading point getter in this series for the Montreal Canadiens. Two goals, one assist in three games. He's going to look to continue that ride tonight, and he's playing top minutes with the uh, his teammate and his linemate, Nick Suzuki. This pairing is a great pairing for the Montreal Canadiens. They've been a great pairing uh, up front for the Habs throughout the entire playoffs uh, when Caulfield was inserted into the lineup and Suzuki was paired with him as well. So much positives you can credit to this Montreal Canadiens youth, 
And they did want to go for veteran leadership here. They brought in guys like Eric Stahl and Corey Perry. And don't get me wrong, Corey Perry is producing. And Eric Stahl, there's a reason why he's in the top five in scoring for this team. But you got to ride these young guns in this series. I think that's the key. I don't think the veteran leadership is going to get it all done for you against the Vegas Golden Knights. You're going to have to beat them with speed. And Cole Caulfield and Nick Suzuki provide that perfectly. They complement the Habs' speed and their lack of speed. I wouldn't say lack of speed, but they're veteran guys. They're older guys who really know how to get in front of the net and score goals. guy comes to mind is Corey Perry. But they're going to have to use these two players to their advantage. They're continuing to do so, and they're going to look to continue to do so in Game 4 tonight. But Cole Caulfield has been a force to reckon with, leading Habs' goal scorer alongside Nick Suzuki. These guys are going to have to be vital if they want to have any chance. And I, I find it extremely interesting that these two players are killing it in the postseason. They weren't even on. Cole Caulfield wasn't on the starting roster on opening night. He wasn't on the starting roster in the playoffs. And he's your leading point getter. Really makes you think as a Habs fan, the way things can go. And <clears throat> the Habs are going to have their work cut out, like I mentioned earlier, for this game, game four against the Vegas Golden Knights. And a win would be crucial going up 3-1 to one and heading into Vegas territory. You already know Vegas at the Fortress is going to bring momentum. But if you could silence that crowd early in a Game 5, and I know I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, <clears throat> if you could silence the crowd in Game 5, you're really on the right track. And you're going to be get moving fast. Maybe, just maybe, and I still can't believe this to this day, the Habs might actually go to a Stanley Cup Final, guys. It's going to be a crazy ride. It's going to be a big game tonight, and the youth is going to have to step up. Because the veteran leadership hasn't been too keen in this series. And they've really relied on their youth. And I think it's going to have to continue that way for any success against the Vegas Golden Knights. And we're going to switch gears here as well. Uh, with Montreal up 2-1 to one in the series, they're going to go head-to-head with the Vegas Golden Knights at 8 o'clock tonight. Going to go look at, to make the series lead 3-1 to one and put the Vegas Golden Knights for the first time this series uh, this season on the brink of elimination. Now, we're going to get into the GM and the Coach of the Year awards. They were actually handed out earlier this week. Uh, the nominees, I'm going to start with the GM. Uh, the nominees were Lou Lamorello, the former Leafs uh, general manager for a couple of years. <clears throat> made his way to Long Island, and he has been lethal ever since. And one of his most notable acquisitions was at the deadline, where he uh, acquired Kyle Palmieri. And, oh, I'm drawing a blank on his name. Another key piece by the Devils, <clears throat> I don't know why I'm drawing a blank, but Kyle Palmieri was the big part in that package. Oh, Travis Zajac, there we go. Palmieri and Zajac gave away some picks, uh, most notably their first-round pick. That's not looking like it's not going to be or amount to much, especially in this draft that's not too deep and not too of, too much of a lethal draft and <clears throat> prospect pickings there. But they gave away their first-round pick and a couple more for Palmieri, and he's one of the leading scorers in for continues to be. We talked about this last show. Continues to be a leading goal scorer for the New York Islanders, continuously finding the back of the net. That's one of his most notable uh, signings or acquisitions this season, which has led the New York Islanders and provided them with much success <clears throat> in this postseason. He also did lead them uh, deep in the playoffs last season where they did go out 4-2 to to the Tampa Bay Lightning. They'll look to rewrite the script this season. They're already tied 2-2 two to two and are going to look to make it two more wins heading to Tampa tomorrow night. But... He's been credited, uh, Lou Morello has been credited with a lot of things and a lot of success for this organization. The next GM selected for the awards, Bill Zito, head of the Florida Panthers, and has really led them to the powerhouse that they are now. We never really thought uh, Florida Panthers as a powerhouse, <clears throat> as a team that could really take on big competition and could advance uh, in the postseason. They didn't do any of that, unfortunately, this season, but a lot of steps into the right direction. You can courtesy this and credit this to the GM, Bill Zito. He really changed this team, brought in Hornquist, uh, drafted Spencer Knight. A lot of big things coming from him uh, throughout, the, throughout the past years, and they're all sort of coming together at the right time. Might have not have been in this year for the Panthers fans and the Panthers faithful, but <clears throat> they're heading to the Atlantic next season. They're going to have some big competitions and big fish in that division of the Atlantic, but they should get through with a playoff spot if they keep it up like they did this season, where they finished top five of the leaderboards. Uh, in the standings in the National Hockey League. So a great regular season for him. Didn't get the way he wanted to in the postseason. However, that is a topic for another day. And well-deserved to be nominated for the GM of the year. It really transferred and revolutionizes Florida Panthers team from what it was to what it is now. And last but not least, and this one is going to be really 
I'm going to have to argue with this one. Mark Bergevin was actually nominated for GM of the Year, taking that third spot uh, for the nomination. Uh, the, I believe the winner is going to be announced in the upcoming days or so. And Mark Bergevin, GM, the bench, the uh, general manager of the Montreal Canadiens, his team is fighting for a Stanley Cup final or a ticket to the Stanley Cup final against the Vegas Golden Knights currently. So to say the playoff successes there would be an understatement. He's really led this team through and through with his red lucky suit. Uh, throughout the entirety of this NHL's playoffs. He's in the semis right now. So obviously you got to give all the credit there. He really made a playoffs team. But <clears throat> the reason why I disagree with why he is nominated, and I just also disagree with the way this is sort of handed out, the awards, the way it's done now, simply because the season is still going on, guys. Uh, if you were to give it the regular season, Mark Bergerman's name wouldn't even be close to going there. I think you could say the same thing for Lou Lamorello. I think you say the same thing for Bill Zito, but I, there's no way you could put Mark Bergevin's hat in the ring when you're talking about regular season. They had a horrible regular season, 16 points out of the first place spot and just barely being the last team in the National Hockey League to punch their ticket to the postseason. I don't think that's a GM that's credited for a general manager of the year award. The uh, I believe it is the Jack Adams. I could be mistaken. I could be the head coach, but... Regardless of what the award is called, I don't think Mark Bergevin has the capabilities, at least for the regular season, to go through with it. This, I'm trying to separate, guys, the regular season and the playoffs. I think that's what it should be. I think if you're going to apply the GM, you have to look at both, or you just you get to look at one or the other or both. And they're handing it out mid-season before the Stanley Cup's even hoisted. If the Montreal Canadiens go on and win the Cup, totally can Mark Bergevin get it. If you're looking just on uh, the, the full ride here, I don't think... Mark Bergevin deserves this award, and obviously he hasn't won the award yet. He is nominated, but I don't want to sound biased, and uh, listeners who know me, I'm not a very big biased guy when it comes to talking about other teams that is not the Toronto Maple Leafs, but you could easily throw Kyle Dubas' name in that ring. What a great regular season he had. All his signings panned out in the regular season. That's unlike Mark Bergevin. He signed guys like Corey Perry, who did nothing for 30, 40 games of the regular season, even trickled down the final stretch of games uh, for the Montreal Canadiens. You go look at other guys like Josh Anderson. Yeah, they signed him for big money. They paid that guy big boy money and money for him to produce at a high rate, something that he didn't live up to down in Quebec. It's not like he's lighting it up in the postseason. He's having his fair share of games. He scored a huge uh, <clears throat> pair of goals. I think he had two goals in that 3-2 uh, to two win in uh, their, their last game where they won in overtime against the Vegas Golden Knights to make it 2-1 in the series. He did have a good game, the first multi-point game of the playoffs in his career. However. He had nothing going for him in the regular season. You've got another guy that they got at uh, the deadline this year, uh, Gustafson. Nothing coming out of him. John Merrill, nothing coming out of him. Like any of the season guys, the guys that they got in the regular season, nothing really panned out for Mark Bergevin and the Montreal Canadiens. So then you compare this to Kyle Dubas. Simmons, he had a great regular season before he got with that, came down with that wrist injury against the Vancouver Canucks uh, a quarter of the way through, this, uh, through the year. And he couldn't really rally back from that, get to his full groove. We saw this as well with Ilya Mikheyev, similar, not similar wrist injury, but in that part of the body. And he simply couldn't get his finishing back. Wayne Simmons was a force to reckon with offensively, which is a huge surprise. Uh, in the opening games of the season, he did fall off. He couldn't produce in the latter uh, half of the season. And of course, as we all know, the Stanley Cup playoffs, which is likely to be costing him a job next season. I'm going to get to this a little later in the show. That might be costing him a job on the Maple Leafs next season. Uh, you also look at another guy. Zach Bogosian was terrific in the postseason and also terrific throughout the entirety of the, the, the season. Really big shutdown defenseman for the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs. He really complimented that top line and that third line. Uh, that third line was just bolstered with the, the addition of Zach Bogosian. And he's really taken an interest to staying on this team. I hope they resign him. We'll get into that a little later, like I mentioned, when we get into our Leafs talk for the Leafs Line podcast, episode 19. However, the moral of the story is that Dubas had great acquisitions in the year that actually produced. Bergevin did not. Now, you go look at the postseason success. I don't have to tell you guys this. Uh, Mark Bergevin did edge out Kyle Dubas. His team choked a 3-1 to lead, and now he, alongside his squad, have to face a big offseason in the coming days, in the coming months, and to get ready for opening night. And Mark Bergevin, his team is still fighting for a spot for the championship. So <clears throat> I disagree with this award. I think a lot of fans of the show and listeners uh, around the globe can really relate to me that – this, this award has to be either black or white or you have to address one or the other or both. You can't just be addressing regular season or postseason because Mark Bergevin, if you're addressing regular season, should not be in there. Mark Bergevin, you're addressing postseason, 
Of course, throw his name in there. He's the, one of the four GMs still fighting for a cup. But if you're going to just look at, you can't look at both and tell me Mark Bergevin's name should belong in there. I think the regular season, at least for this award, does outvalue and outweigh uh, the contributions in the postseason. You look at the reason why Bill Zito's there. He's uh, he had the Panthers had no playoff success whatsoever. You could debate it's been almost as bad as the Toronto Maple Leafs, maybe not to the choking degree, but the way that their team performed and lack of defense that they got from their squad and Bill Zito included, you can say that that wasn't qualified for him to receive an award or be nominated for this award, but his regular season, he transformed this Florida Panthers team, much like Kyle Dubas did for the Toronto Maple Leafs. We saw some more better defensive efforts from his side. Some better complete wins. Uh, you saw the emergence of Jack Campbell as a starter and the emergence of guys going down and guys picking other guys up and continuously racking up wins. His team finished first in the division, uh, head and shoulders over the second place, third place, and fourth place team and blowing competition in the North out of the water. And Kyle Dukes' name's off the ballot. So I disagree with the award, and when it's evaluated and when it's sent out, I disagree that Mark Bergevin is on there, not from a Leafs perspective, but from a hockey's perspective in general. I'm not taking anything away from Mark Bergevin, but all I'm saying is you could include some better names, and one of them could be Kyle Dukes. And if I were to put a little more thought to this as well, I can come up with another name that could also be thrown in there. Uh, Can I think of one right now? Uh, from the North Division, you could maybe say uh, Winnipeg Jets, their general manager. I'm trying a blank to his name it's, uh, on the tip of my tongue. And you could also throw in there as well. Well, I want to say, you know, I'm not even going to bother. There's a lot of names you could also throw out there. Obviously, this is award is valued throughout the gyms and across the entire league. You can also give it to Buffalo like, if you want for sticking to uh, sticking through a horrible season if you want to be nice. But uh, there's a lot of GMs that could have received this award. Do I think Mark Bergeron was the right guy to do it? Absolutely not. Uh, I've sort of already relayed your, my message and the reason why I don't believe in so. But regardless, that's the one award going to the best general manager of the year. Again, Lamorello is nominated, obviously deserved. His team's still standing. He has revolutionized New York Islanders for yet another postseason run and a great regular season as well. You can't discredit them there. Uh, and they had to face a lot of injuries as well. Bill Zito, the general manager of the Florida Panthers, revolutionized the Florida Panthers organization and created them into what we feel like a powerhouse. Uh, they were beating big-name teams like the Tampa Bay Lightning, uh, other teams like the Carolina Hurricanes throughout the entirety of the season. And they simply couldn't get it done in the postseason. Obviously, there's still some steps that still some uh, areas that they roughed out. Mind you, they did have to go against the reigning champions, the guys who know how to play the postseason hockey the best but they couldn't get through that. They were in a horrible and tough division, really tough division. I won't say horrible in that way, but a very hard decision division to uh, advance from. And they had a great season. That's a great step in the right direction for Bill Zito and his team. And of course, he's heading to the Atlantic next season. Let's see if he can make some noise there. And of course, Mark Bergevin, not the greatest of regular seasons. Uh, you actually finished the worst of these three GMs. However, he's had some really big postseason success, and you can credit that as well to the guys that he's picked up in the offseason. Josh Anderson, Corey Perry, and, of course, one of the bigger names, bringing up Cole Caulfield and drafting Cole Caulfield. So you can credit him for the postseason success. Maybe not the regular season success, but hey, c'est la vie. And, of course, we're going to have to get into the Head Coach of the Year Award. Uh, I believe this is the Jack Adams, I want to say. I'm not too sure. Might have to double-check this after. However, nominated for this award, Minnesota Wilds bench boss Dean Avison. Uh, Minnesota Wild had no business going into the postseason this, this year. Uh, they didn't have a lot of big names. Kirill Kaprizov was one of the leading forces. Erickson Eck, uh, Jordan Greenway. They had so many pieces that uh, unlikely, uh, we didn't really think of this, emerge uh, and cause dominance in that division, that hard division that they had to fight for. They edged out the uh, St. Louis Blues for that third spot, and they actually they almost got that second spot. It actually went down to the wire between the Vegas Golden Knights and the Minnesota Wild. They did also bring the Vegas Golden Knights to seven games, completing almost, almost completing, I'd like to say, the comeback in the postseason and the reverse sweep in the postseason. However, uh, they did fight back in the postseason. They did have a decent regular season, one that surprised many. And that is a reason why Dean Avison is nominated for this award. And the Minnesota Wild, just going to touch slightly on them as a franchise standpoint, always one step away, man. They're always one of the more mediocre teams in the postseason. Always find a way to get in there. They're a streaky team in the season. They have their ups and downs, but they always find a way to get that final spot. But they simply can never get it done. They can never go far in the postseason. It's a lot of second round, third round exits. 
I don't remember the last time they went to a cup final, and I certainly don't remember the last time they won a championship. But one of the more mediocre teams in this uh, in the uh, National Hockey League. It's going to be interesting to see how they rebound next year after taking a tough loss after a what looked to be a great, marvelous comeback over the Vegas Golden Knights. I guess it wasn't written in the, in the stars, wasn't meant to be, and they're going to have to go another year hungry. And Dean Davidson is going to have to lead the way. Maybe, just maybe, they can find some success in the postseason. Coach Q of the Florida Panthers was also nominated for uh, the Coach of the Year award, uh, award alongside his general manager, who put a lot of trust in him this season, uh, Bill Zito. Joe Quenville was hoping to take home the uh, uh, the championship in this award. Uh, he has a couple of them in his career. Uh, you can go credit this to his tenure with the Chicago Blackhawks when they went on their dynamic dynasty run, as well as some other teams who are just running off the top of my head and I can't really find them right now, but I know he was a huge force in Chicago. I remember him growing up watching hockey, uh, working with Taves, Kane, and all the big guys that were down there in Chicago during that dynasty run. He was a big part of that, and he was also a big part of the Florida Panthers' success this season. And, of course, uh, your winner of the award, going to, and Ibone is going to be quite happy with this one, Rob Brindamore of the Carolina Hurricanes. He had a terrific year in Carolina through ups and downs, uh, his team had, had faced a lot of diversity and adversary uh, throughout the regular season. Uh, no fans in that building really uh, made everything look silly, especially when you come and look back at it from the postseason to the regular season. That place could have been rocking real quick, and they would have had maybe a reg- better regular season than they did. Not saying that they had a bad one, but definitely well-deserved for Rob Brindamore. He really got his group going. He really knows how to channel his players. And he also really looks like the most fittest guy in that team. He used to play, and he did win a cup with the Carolina Hurricanes as well uh, way back when. But a great head coach, been a great head coach for a long time now. It's a couple years in a row where he's been a lethal head coach and has really led his team not far in the playoffs because the Carolina Hurricanes are still unable to get over that hump, that second-round hump of the postseason. However, he has had terrific seasons in the past, and he's continued his dominance this year and is one of the more clear-cut uh, factors for the Coach of the Year award. And he is all – I give him full credit for winning it, well-deserved. And if I were to throw any other names up there that could replace these coaches, I mean, <clears throat> I think Quenville deserves it uh, to be nominated at least in that top three simply because uh, he led and revolutionized alongside the GM Bill Zito this Florida Panthers team, we didn't really think too much of them. They had a lot of skill, but we've seen this before with the Florida Panthers. Them mixed with a lot of skill never really pans out. They never really go far, and obviously they didn't go too far in the postseason, matched up against the Tampa Bay Lightning, mind you. But they had a great regular season. They're going to look like dangerous op- opponents come the uh, next year against the Atlantic teams like Toronto Maple Leafs and the Montreal Canadiens, just to name a few. The Boston Bruins, the other, again, the Tampa Bay Lightning and, of course, the Buffalo Sabres. But, hey, anyone could be the Buffalo Sabres. The Florida Panthers aren't any different. And Joe Quenville made sure he did that this year. And Dean Avidson, I think I – don't, I think I don't know. Again, my least bias, I don't want to make it sound biased, but you could kind of throw Sheldon Keefe in there. But if you're looking at postseason success, none of these coaches here had any postseason success, quite ironically. But if you're looking at regular season success, Keefe really managed his team – uh, he had to also battle through adversity like Brendan Moore did. But <clears throat> there's just uh, – I think there's a fine line between a guy who wasn't even meant to make the playoffs and Minnesota's head coach, Dean Avidson. I believe he also may have had the takeover in the middle of the season. I'm not too sure about this. I might be completely wrong. But regardless of whether he took over late or not, he led his team to an unlikely fourth spot – or not even fourth spot, second or third spot in the division. And it's uh, – I don't think you can credit anyone else – uh, better if to hang on to that third spot in this voting. But Dean Avidson, full deserve, full credited. Quinville, full credited. And of course, the winner, Brynn Moore, full credit to his victory with this award. I think there's going to be many more in the future for him. He's a great head coach, one of the most fittest head coaches in the league, mind you. And he really knows how to be with the team, stick with the guys. He was a former player himself. And of course, win hockey games and may not be the biggest important games now, but I think in years to come, if this team in this core sticks together, I think it's right up their alley and they're going to have a lot of shots in the gun for them to take in the upcoming years. And we're going to transition here to the Maple Leafs. Again, I like to remind our listeners, this is the Leafs line podcast. We have to have some Leafs context somewhere or another. And we're going to get into the only Leafs news and the biggest offseason acquisition. I wouldn't say acquisition, but re-signing that the Kyle Dubas in company have made. Uh, we're still in the playoffs. So obviously there's still lots of time. 
Jason Spezza. That is the biggest up to this point, the biggest signing the Maple Leafs have made up to this point, and no one's complaining about this one. Jason Spezza, you wouldn't, you could guess it right now, coming back to the Toronto Maple Leafs on his third straight league minimum deal. It's ridiculous how this guy hasn't given up on this team. I know a lot of players and a lot of individuals, especially fans, uh, have already thrown the white flag up and have given up on this squad simply because they had all the chips lying in the middle of the table. They made their push with uh, these acquisitions at the deadline in the offseason. Everything was favored for them. And Jason Spets included. He was part of the re-signing process last year in October during the offseason. And he was joined the team for a second straight at that time. It was second straight uh, league minimum deal. And he was a force to reckon with in the postseason as well. Uh, he was actually tied for third on the team with Austin Matthews in points at five. And also second in goals, which is actually blows my mind, uh, to say the least. Uh, for Jason Spezza, a 38-year-old forward, putting up 30 points in 54 games this season. However... A great postseason for him, and he's coming back on league min. And I am so surprised. He said he I, – I actually didn't believe this at first when I read it. I actually went to go watch the interview again after. He said he'd take less money to come stay with his team. <clears throat> and uh, it really blows my mind that this guy at this age, he's already made his money. Obviously, he doesn't need the big bucks. But any other guy in this league, if it's not Jason Spezza playing at his age, any other guy in this league is asking for more money. I feel very bad for his agents. I don't even know if Jason Spezza has an agent at this point simply because he just says all of what he wants. I remember – this was earlier in the year. I'm not sure if our listeners recall this, but he actually got put on waivers simply because the Maple Leafs had to make some roster changes. It wasn't intentional. He understood that. Uh, if he got picked up from a team, this is what he said. If I get picked up from any other team other than the Toronto Maple Leafs, he's retiring. And uh, I think that speaks volumes for a franchise. I think that speaks uh, what kind of player he is, the heart and soul player he is, and the player that the Maple Leafs need and have to continuously acquire, maybe not at that age, but maybe with that mentality. Uh, not only in this offseason, but going forward as the clock tickens uh, towards opening night. And Jason Spezza, I mean, you're one of my fan favorites personally. I think you're one of the biggest fan favorites in Leafs land and Leafs nation. Uh, you put up the points and you put up a fight in the postseason. That's something that's been an uncommon trait within Maple Leafs playoffs, an uncommon characteristic within the core. And Jason Spezza is one of the oldest guys on the team. He might be one of the oldest guys on the team behind Joe Thornton, and at least one of the oldest guys that has actually resigned with the Toronto Maple Leafs. And he continues to get it done both in the postseason, in the regular season, and as a player and as a person. I remember also uh, he actually donated a lot of his money. This guy's making league men, guys, and he was donating some of his proceeds and his money to the Toronto Marlies to help pay for their salary in their season that got cut short due to COVID-19. What a character, hometown guy. Everyone loves him in the community. Everyone loves him on the ice, off the ice. I've Actually, Josh Levesque, who also uh, is usually on the show, uh, he actually met Jason Spetch, and he always raves to me what a nice guy he is, uh, the time that he had with him, the conversations that he had with him during his meeting with Jason Spezza. Just a great human being. And a sign on league men, and this is obviously not crediting Jason Spezza's human being side, but signing on league men for a team that I thought you would give up on already and maybe years ago speaks volumes. And I think it's something that the Maple Leafs and their players that are hitting this UFA phase, guys that come to mind, Galchenyuk, <clears throat> uh, Bogosian, not, I don't, I'm not saying they're taking league men, maybe Hyman. Don't take league men. I don't think any of those guys are worth league men. And quite frankly, I think their agents would shoot Kyle Dubas in the head if he were to offer them to take league men. They are obviously worth more money because of their age and their flexibility that they have with their uh, on the roster. However, Jason Spezza, he has made his money in his past. Uh, he doesn't need any more money with the Toronto Maple Leafs. He knows his role. He likes where he is, playing for his hometown squad. <clears throat> and he's just a perfect fit for the Toronto Maple Leafs. And I hope this spreads. That's all I'm trying to say. I hope this sort of not league men, maybe taking a discount to, and Jason Spezza is the prime example, taking three in a row discounts to play for a team that he believes in. I hope this can spread on to other guys that are hitting free agency or at least want to choose to hit the free agent market. And uh, maybe we can keep this team back together with a bit of discounts. But I think Dubas is going to have his hands tied, possibly. And, of course, like we all know, his hands full. And going back to the Toronto Maple Leafs offseason, Jason Spezza being the primary example, uh, actually the first figure that's been re-signed from last year's team going forward. He is facing the league uh, minimum deal on a one-year contract. Again, for the third time, this is not a recording, but he's the first signing for Kyle Dubas this season. I just want to touch upon the other players as well that have uh, not have been re-signed but are hopefully 
getting re-signed by the Toronto Maple Leafs. And as unlikely as it may seem for some of these players, I'm hoping that they can return in a Maple Leafs uniform. I'm pretty sure Kyle Dubas and company are as well. And his management team, his uh, salary cap guys are really crunching the numbers to see if anything is possible. So I'm going to just quickly look through the free agent market for the Toronto Maple Leafs and who they have to uh, sort of re-sign. I can name it off the top of my head, but I think I'm just going to go forward on cap friendly here and search it up. So <clears throat> guys who are going to be UFAs this offseason. Riley Nash, we'll start with him. Is he returning? I, I, I got to say league min or anything north of a mill is way too much for him. I think you sign him on a one-year deal or a two-year deal. Uh, and before I even start all of this, for sure, I'm going to just say I really don't like making this kind of talk, uh, who the Leafs should resign. I think they're going to be fine regardless of who they resign. It's going to be tough to who they resign. There's going to be some big losses potentially. But I think at the end of the day, it's the Toronto Maple Leafs. I think they're going to still be able to get it done, at least in the regular season. The postseason, however, <clears throat> I think we're going to leave that up to maybe the offseason. Well, not the offseason, rather. The trade deadline next season. We'll see how that plays out. Or maybe the Maple Leafs make a big splash. You know, Chris Johnson was saying earlier, uh, following the Maple Leafs exit in the first round this season, like Dawson mentioned again, it's not a recording, but uh, he mentioned that the Maple Leafs were going to resign a bit, or not resign, sign a big offseason acquisition, a big name guy, and maybe one of the more unlikely guys that no many people have thought of. Uh, I, I have to disagree. I think the Maple Leafs are going to try to keep as many big of their pieces together and not let a lot of guys go. Uh, that's just my take on it, but obviously everyone else has their opinions. Riley Nash, I think if he is going to resign, I don't think he should, in my opinion. I didn't like him as a playoff. Uh, player that we saw in the first round. That's all the time he got to play due to money restraints, uh, his injury as well, to name that. But I didn't like the way he played. I didn't like how he complimented that line. I think he broke up a lot of chemistry. Now a full year can't change you, but I think Riley Nash's and guys like that grow in trees. And I, I liked him when he came in. He was a shutdown fourth liner, but I don't think that's the need for Toronto right now. I think he can move his contract and let that go. Uh, we're going to go back to the next guy, Galchenyuk. And <clears throat> I think I think he liked playing with this team. He was picked up by the from the Ottawa Senators uh, earlier this season, and he would he was he's been around the block. He's been around the the league. He's played for I believe six other teams uh, from aside from the Toronto Maple Leafs or including the Toronto Maple Leafs. He's played for a lot of teams. He has a lot of hockey jerseys. I thought my hockey jersey collection was big. His is way more bigger and more authentic, mind you. But uh, Galchenyuk has been around the block. I don't think he wants to go anywhere else. To be quite honest with you, uh, I don't think he's going to find a better fit than Toronto. He's playing with a winning team or at least a team that can get it done in the regular season. I don't think anyone's going to really want, uh, I wouldn't say want Galchenyuk. He's been very valuable. He definitely increased his stock this year with the performance he had on that second line and showed that he can really support a uh, top six role. But I don't think teams are going to give him that top six role. I think the Toronto Maple Leafs are one of those unique outlier teams that have the ability to slot guys up and down in that lineup. Uh, Galchenyuk, I think, is more than capable of playing the third line and really heading that third line with some guys were to go. But uh, if anything's north of 1.5, I don't see him resigning. I don't think he's worth that money. I don't think Dubas is going to offer him that money. I think Dubas and Galchenyuk both know the, the his value and the value of his play. And I don't think you can get more than 1.5 million uh, for him. And I think if you're going to sign him, I wouldn't go on a one-year deal. I think you can maybe give it a bit of term, maybe two or three years, and maybe obviously that'll increase the price tag. <clears throat> but the AAV should not be 1.5 or north of there. I'm sorry. I don't think Galchenyuk's that worth it. Uh, he is a great player, speedy guy. And it's really gelled well with the team. Has some chemistry with those guys in the second and third unit. But I don't think he's the answer uh, if you were to sign him for a lot of money. And I think you can get more better answers uh, in the upcoming uh, free agent guys or uh, players who are going on the free agent market. Uh, we're going to go on to Zach Hyman. Now, this guy I'm going to spend some time on a bit, a uh, bit of time on. Biggest, 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 numero uno, uh, the whole enchilada for <clears throat> Kyle Dubas. This is the guy he has to resign, in my opinion. I think he's the heart and soul of the team. A lot of people uh, will disagree with me here that he has to be resigned. He's a must. I do think he's a must. I think he is the heartbeat to that first line. He compliments Matthews and Marner. The only thing that can hold me back of saying that he shouldn't resign, his age. He is 29 years of age. He is also uh, looking to make a bigger contract. He's worth a bigger contract anywhere else. And I think guys and teams, organizations and GMs, that really want a guy, and there's, you're not going to find this many guys like Zach Hyman. There's not too many guys in the league that uh, play to his capabilities and his game style. Sort of a grinder game style, but also with a lethal offensive uh, prowess. That can complement guys in the first line that can play that first line minute without hurting you on the goal sheet. Zach Hyman can obviously put up points. He can obviously complement big star players. We saw it throughout his entire career alongside Matthews and Marner. 
<clears throat> especially this season, we saw it firsthand. But injuries are also going to be a problem. We saw him in the postseason. He didn't look too lethal, and he did linger on. I think that injury did linger on with him as well, that knee injury that he suffered to Alex Edler against Vancouver. I guess all the Maple Leafs injuries come against Vancouver. However, the injury did stick a little bit with Zach Kaiman. I don't think he shook it totally off. So that can come back to haunt him in this future of his career. And I think if, the, if you're the Maple Leafs, you got to tell Zach Kaiman if you're Cal Dubas, listen, you're 29 years old. We want to give you something with term because we want to keep you. But the only thing that's really holding us back from paying you this much money is your injuries. You have suffered a couple injuries in the past. Uh, I think he suffered a, oh, I want to say a growing one or a shoulder one. I remember there was one after the Boston series a couple years back uh, about uh, Zach Hyman, and he had to go through surgery. He was actually late and delayed returning to play uh, the following season. So he has been bitten by the injury bug a lot, and they have been lingering with him. You can say it about his knee injury. Maybe not so much of his growing or his shoulder. I'm not too sure what it was. But he is getting a little bit more frequently hitting the IL. And that's something that the Maple Leafs, the general managers, and Zach Hyman's agents are going to have to negotiate. Listen, you're getting a little, not up there in age, but you're not in your, uh, you're, you're reaching the tail end of your prime. That's what I'm trying to say. And you have been injured in the past. Uh, you, you are getting a middle, little bit of a continuous rate of getting injured. And we really want you to be here. I think we're going to give you, I think you can't go more than six, six million AAV. Uh, you're going to have to give him term if he's going to want to sign here. I don't think he's going to want to sign a one-year deal and really hit the free agent market next year because why beat that out? You can go right now and maybe find a good deal somewhere else. I know the Edmonton Oilers were really being front runners for him. Uh, they could really use a guy like that on their first unit with uh, if you want to go dry saddle and McDavid and Hyman, that's pretty lethal. And I think it's similar to the Toronto Maple Leafs and his, his role there. I don't think his role would change, which is why it's going to come down to something like Jason Spezza. Uh, how much loyalty are you going to have with this team? Now, we all know Zach Hyman's a loyal guy. Uh, we all know, well, we don't know yet, but if he's going to take a discount to stay here, uh, I'm assuming he likes living here. His family lives here. He has his son who's living here. So we don't know the underlying and the, the strings that are being attached within the contract and what he thinks of the deal and what he thinks of the city. But <clears throat> we all know that Zach Hyman is a key piece that the Toronto Maple Leafs really find it hard to live without. And uh, he is the heart and soul of that first line. I believe he's the heart and soul of this team. Really sparks guys around him to get going and get moving. I think he's a piece that you really need to resign if you're called Dubas. And it's going to be a tough time for the Maple Leafs if they let him go next season. And if he goes to a division rival, it's going to make it even worse. But uh, I, we're going to have to see how that turns out, uh, what's in store for Zach Hyman. I think he's too good of a piece to let go. I think the Maple Leafs are going to be kicking themselves. And I think the only chance they won't be is if Zach Hyman, and I, I pray to God for this not to happen, if Zach Hyman continues to follow the injury path and keeps getting injured, that really holds him back from playing steady minutes. Minutes. So uh, that's the only thing I see for Zach Hyman stopping his career and stopping him from making big time money somewhere else, especially with term with the Maple Leafs. But I'm hoping, and I think a lot of Leafs Nation is also hoping, I think I'm beating the drum of Leafs Nation, please resign Zach Hyman, Kyle Dubas. Uh, I think he means the world for the Leafs fans, and I think he means a big part to your big core uh, in Toronto. And you can't blame that playoff loss on him. That was nothing on his part coming back from injury. Uh, it's definitely no easy task to beat the Montreal Canadiens, especially when your line's getting shut down, your offense is getting shut down. He didn't have the greatest of series, but he is a great player that even gets you to the playoffs. So Zach Hyman, too big of a piece to go away. Uh, I'm going to put these ones in a package here. Uh, trio, Joe Thorne, Wayne Simmons, and Nick Foligno, all UFAs in the offseason. If I were to keep one of these guys, I don't think I'd keep one of them, but most definitely Nick Foligno. We all know he's a big player, a uh, big-time player. We didn't get to see him too much. Injuries prevented him from playing majority of the playoffs as well as the final ladder stretch of the uh, regular season. So we didn't see too much of him. We saw that he gels well with the team. He likes playing here. He likes the city. He likes the media. Uh, his father used to play here as well, which is also a bonus. So he knows what to expect. He knows what it's going to be like in the upcoming year, how to respond to all this stuff, all these big questions that are surrounding the Toronto Maple Leafs team. But is he going to want to resign here is the big question. I don't think he's going to want to go anywhere else. Uh, if he's going to test the market, I'm sure some good team's going to pick him up. And with the age that he's at, at uh, 33 years of age, and he hasn't really had that much production, I know his numbers have gone down and gone self over the past couple of years. Uh, I don't think he's worth big-time money. I, I still don't think he's worth over two mil. I actually don't think he's worth like, the first-round pick that the Maple Leafs gave up for him to acquire him at the deadline. However, I mean, that was in hindsight. Dubas didn't really see the Maple Leafs really getting extinguished in the first round their offense running out of firepower and most notably Nick Foligno barely playing any minutes simply because he was injured 
uh, going into the series as well as throughout the series. So, I mean, in hindsight, Dubis made the right call. I praised it, especially on this uh, show, this very show that I host, as well as the very articles that I write on the, my Leafs Madness page. But it just didn't get done in the postseason. It didn't work out, and now he's becoming a UFA. So the one-year rental didn't pan out for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Didn't get them as far as they wanted to. And I think the Maple Leafs should resign him. I just don't think they have the money to do so. And that's a big problem, especially with all these free agents. You go look at Wayne Simmons and uh, Joe Thornton. I think there's no need for them. I think Joe Thornton, I think his veteran leadership ran out, ran really, really ran out throughout the se- season. I didn't see too much of it there, especially in the postseason. Maybe it could have stepped up during the latter rounds when you had to be faced with more adversity. But I don't think you could be hit with any more adversity than Toronto Maple Leafs did in the series. The guys went down. Uh, you actually choked a three to one lead. Uh, the Montreal Canadiens were coming back down three to one. That's a lot of adversity right there. Uh, in in uh, in those words, and uh, I don't see any effect from Joe Thornton. I mean, he scored a goal against the Montreal Canadiens in uh, Quebec, but <clears throat> I didn't see any lethal thing from him. Obviously, he's at the age of forty, I believe his age is uh, forty-one. Excuse me. So he's up there on the. He has a lot of miles on him. That's what I'm trying to say. And I don't think he's worth any money. I think if he's going to come, it's league men. Better be league men for a year. Uh, if you're going to give him another shot at the tee. But I don't think he's worth it. I think he can go to another team or maybe play overseas like he did prior. I know he wants to win, and I know he really wants that championship. I think he's one of the – the uh, he actually never won one, so I think he's one of the most hungrier players in the National Hockey League, not saying anyone else isn't. But at the age of 41 without a championship, uh, I don't think it gets any hungrier than that. And I'm going to miss Jill Thornton's beard. I don't think he's worth the money that the Maple Leafs are going to want to give him or the ones that he's going to want to – or the money that he's going to want to have. Uh, from this team. I don't think he's anywhere north of league men. And I hate to say it. He was a great guy, a great human being, a great guy in the locker room. But if you're not going to get anything done on ice or providing the veteran leadership on the ice that is visible, or at least maybe not on the ice, but in the dressing room that translates to the ice, I don't think he's worth the money. And I don't think he's worth spending that, uh, spending any money, quite frankly, on him. I think you can let him go. He served his time. He had a great time in Toronto. I don't think he's going to, uh, He's salty about it. We all know the character of Joe Thornton. He's already made his money in his career, mind you. So I think he's in the same boat as Jason Spezza. It depends how much he wants to win. If he wants to win so much, put a bet with his team again and uh, put all his chips forward and go for a league min, so be it. I think that's a perfect plan for the Toronto Maple Leafs, but anything north. And even then, if if you don't want to sign him on a league min, I think it's okay to go without him. And Wayne Simmons, of course, you could include him. He is also one of the guys uh, getting up there in age at the age of 32. So he's actually younger than... uh, which I'm a little bit surprised about, but I, we got him for the physical play. We barely saw him in the regular season. He was actually playing top minutes in the, I want to say top minutes, but he started out on the top line in the postseason for the Toronto Maple Leafs this season. And I actually found it, this is really weird, and a lot of guys will agree with me, I actually found him on the ground uh, receiving a hit more so than him giving a hit. So I don't think he suited his role at all. We brought him in to give up some toughness, and we actually went north of a million for him when we acquired him in October. Kyle Dubas gave him a, what do you think, 1.25 or 1.5. We actually signed him over Corey Perry, who wanted to stay on League Men in Toronto. And we all know how that one worked out for the Toronto Maple Leafs and Kyle Dubas. But in hindsight, he made uh, – I th- I actually said it myself. I thought Simmons was the better signing at the beginning of the year than Corey Perry. Corey Perry had a great playoffs for the Dallas Stars the year prior. However, he's never got it done in the regular season. I think Wayne Simmons provided much more of a uh, Jacqueline Hyde kind of uh, look, a kind of style, and really a more physical element to his game. We didn't see it at all this year, and I don't think you're going to give him another crack at the crack at the plate, another step there. I don't think he's worth any money for this team. I think you can put that money towards another player or another small signing uh, that could potentially work out. We saw a small signing that worked out for the Maple Leafs this year. Uh, maybe, I mean, obviously Jason Spezza signing on League Min last year. Obviously, he worked tremendously with this team. You could kind of throw in Joe Thornton's name, but I, I wouldn't really stretch it. That is pretty much a stretch. So the Maple Leafs, again, they have a lot of UFAs that they have to make uh, make work with. Either you're going to let them go or they're going to have to return. They're going to have to make uh, – you're going to have to go on cheap spendings here. Uh, uh, pinching pennies is what I'm trying to say. Maple Leafs don't have too much money to spend, and you're going to have to really prioritize who you want and who you don't. And I think Kyle Dubas and his, and his uh, family within the Toronto Maple Leafs organization is doing so as we speak. Now that covers all the Toronto Maple Leafs offensive units. On the defensive side of things, Ben Hutton and Zach Bogosian are UFAs. Ben Hutton can really leave. Uh, we actually got him. I don't remember who we traded away for. He was actually meant to come help in the playoffs if so someone went down. We did see guys go down, but Ben Hutton was simply uh, battling an illness, some personal illnesses 
that he was facing, and we just didn't see it. We saw him in one game with the Toronto Maple Leafs. So he's not coming back. We all know that. We'll let him go to the Wolves and see which team he wants to go. I have actually a prediction. I don't think this is a hot take, but I think he might go overseas and play down there. Just a funny feeling. I have an instinct feeling. Uh, we saw this with Martin Marincin, who, thank God, finally got off the books of the Toronto Maple Leafs and signing down in, I want to say, Russia. I'm not too sure where he did sign, nor do I care, simply because Martin Marincin is one of the infamous players or one of the infamous players now, former players in the Toronto Maple Leafs organization. But uh, I think Ben Hutton might sign overseas or sign somewhere else. I know he's not returning to Toronto Maple Leafs. And, of course, the bigger defenseman, Zach Bogosian, I think he will get re-signed for Toronto. I think he likes playing here in Toronto. I think the Toronto Maple Leafs could go without him. However, it would be pretty tough to do so. They have a great deep pairing, or a top six, or top four, rather, uh, on the defensive end going into next year if they don't re-sign anyone. But I think Bogosian just complements that, bolsters that blue line, and I think he likes playing in Toronto. And I don't see him making any more than, I'd want to say, um, I want to say maybe $3 million. I don't see him making any more. And I think if you're going to give him a contract, it might be better to give him a term. He is at the age of 30, so he does have some miles on him a bit. Uh, I mean, when you're comparing up to Joe Thornton, uh, Nick Foligno, and Wayne Simmons, he does look pretty young and pretty fresh out the box. But... Um, definitely anything north of uh, four or five is way too much, depending on the AAV. And I think a, a deal with term is necessary for Bogosian. I think it complements his style of play, the game that we're going to want to see going forward in the upcoming years. And I think he wants to stay in Toronto, so that would be a great fit. If he doesn't come back, it'll be sad to see him go. He was a great piece for the Toronto Maple Leafs, had a terrific season and postseason. Uh, but it won't be the biggest of losses. I think the Maple Leafs offense is a bigger ask than Maple Leafs defense. And of course, the other end of the spectrum, the goaltending situation. Now you got Jack Campbell. He is a RFA or not an RFA. He's not uh, resigning or anything. You don't got to worry about him. He's going to hopefully be your starter. We're going to see by opening night where Kyle Dubas goes with this. But I think Jack Campbell's earned and more than earned in the postseason and the regular season, breaking records in the regular season. Uh, I think he's earned the starting spot. We saw it throughout the playoffs. He was the number one starter. Freddie Anderson didn't even touch the ice. And I think he's going to be going, Frederick Anderson. He's a UFA in this offseason. I uh, see destinations to him, maybe Anaheim. Uh, it would be tough. That would be require him to go as a backup route or the Anaheim Ducks shipping off John Gibson. I don't see any of these two scenarios playing out. <clears throat> I think Frederick Anderson, after spending a full year or most of the year, both on the bench and injured, I think he's going to go somewhere uh, where he can actually play. And I think one of the bigger spots in the destinations for that, and Aiden, I'd like to tell you this in person, but I think you're going to have to hear it through the airwaves. I think Pittsburgh is going to be the best fit for Frederick Anderson. Jari coming off a horrific season. I wouldn't say season, but a horrific postseason where his job is in question. And I think Frederick Anderson, whether you want to stick him up as a backup or maybe a split time, a split tenure, uh, tender between these two goaltenders, uh, I think that's up for grabs. I think Pittsburgh might be a reasonable spot for him. I don't think he's worth uh, re-signing. I don't think he's going to come cheap. He knows his value that he can get from other teams that are desperate for a goaltender. You can also see Freddie going to Edmonton. Uh, Mike Smith, I don't think you want to run it with Mike Smith, who's uh, just shy of 40 years of age. He's getting up there. He's got the miles on him. And, uh, of course, Koskinen, he's had a tr- horrific uh, season. He can never get it done. And I don't think he's the guy you want being your backup or your starter, quite frankly. So I think three destinations that are more than possible, maybe two more than the other. Uh, but I think Frederick Anderson is going to test his market for sure. And I know he's going to get signed or picked up from some other team. He's more than capable of being a skillful goaltender, a hot goaltender when he wants to be and when he's fully healthy. But uh, the Maple Leafs, I don't think they need to take that risk. I think they could run if they're going to resign him, David Riddich. He's also another UFA. It's just adding on and adding on to the long list. He's a UFA in this offseason. Uh, if the Toronto Maple Leafs want to resign him, they're more than capable of doing so. I don't think he's going to go north of two mil. Uh, I think sign him for a year. I don't think you're going to want to roll for this goaltending goaltending tandem for too long, but it's definitely a possibility. I think the goaltending tandem is going to have to be uh, Jack Campbell. I think you give up, give Michael Hutchison a shot. Uh, I think he's, I don't want to say more than capable because he definitely hasn't proven he's more than capable, but I think he is capable of uh, getting that. I think he's the capable option and the more cheaper option to uh, lead this team on the backup side of things through next year. There's going to be a lot more back-to-back games against uh, tougher opponents. So I think you're going to need a, a backup goal. I think it's going to be a valuable piece for all teams in the regular season and beyond. But I think Michael Hutchinson could get it done, and this is only if you want to go the cheaper route. If you want to spend some money, you can maybe try re-signing the, one of these two goaltenders in Frederick Anderson or David Riddich, or Kyle Dubas can simply go out and acquire another goaltender on the market uh, that can come in, maybe a veteran guy that can come in, or a young guy. 
uh, and get some wins on the backside of things. Maybe start uh, 20 games or so this year uh, or the upcoming season and get some wins. Maybe win maybe 70, 75% of those games. That'd be a terrific number for Kyle Dubas to reach. Is it obtainable? It's going to be hard to be obtainable, especially when you're testing this market. But uh, if you're going to want to go the cheaper route, I think Michael Hutchins right up your alley. At, I don't think he's the best one you can get, but I think he's one of them that's already in your system, already developed, and you can really use him whichever way you'd like to. So I think that covers all the unrestricted free agents, or the big ones at least, for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Cal Dubas, like I mentioned on the, off the top of the show and off the top of the segment, he's going to have his hands full. He's going to have his hands tied. And I think Leafs Nation is going to be in for some really sad and upset times by the time this is all over. There's going to be some big guys gone, maybe some big guys coming over, but it's going to be interesting to say the least. But that's all the Toronto Maple Leafs talk we have for this episode. Uh, obviously, it's going to be a continuously uh, growing segment uh, with every Leafs signing that Kyle Dubas makes. This is the Leafs Line podcast. It's going to continue to be a Leafs Line podcast. We're already at episode 19. And uh, we're going to be doing some off-season shows as well. Maybe not as frequent. I was actually thinking with the guys to cover some. Actually cover all the off-season needs. Uh, what we're going to expect in the upcoming season. With the new divisional alignment. With all these 32, uh, maybe soon 33 NHL teams. Uh, we're going to make a Seattle Kraken show just before the, the expansion draft. That'll be interesting. So we got a, a lot of c- things coming up on the Lease Line podcast. And uh, Toronto Maple Leafs obviously are going to be included in that as well. Uh, I'm not too sure what the schedule is going to be. Personally, I'm going to be going every Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Not on the radio, however. I'm going to actually diversify this portfolio heading into my first year of university next year. Uh, I'll be doing some podcasts Monday, either baseball or the Leafs Line, maybe my, some of my own thoughts. Uh, and I think Sunday we're going to just continue going with the guys. And we're going to cover a team every, maybe a couple teams every week. But me, I'm going Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Monday, a podcast, possibly baseball or hockey. Uh, Wednesday, I'm going to maybe be focusing on some other, maybe the more lesser side of things that's focused on in the sports media industry. Some editing, uh, video editing, uh, highlight packages, all that jazz, the uh, tedious work in the industry. And of course, on the Friday, I'm going to continue to develop my portfolio on the writing side. That's actually how I got into this industry, believe it or not. I never wanted to be a radio guy. I actually wanted to be a writer for a columnist or a newspaper, Sportsnet, TSM, whatever have you, uh, the Associated Press, something like that, writing for and covering big name teams. And I, that was one of my biggest traits. Writing is one of my biggest traits and characteristics personally. I excel in that subject as well. And it's going to be, I'm going to try to develop it over the years, uh, over this season, season, this off season, remind you, uh, this summer. And, of course, uh, discussing all these topics, both in the National Hockey League as well, as taking a primary focus on the Toronto Maple Leafs. You can find me at my Least Madness page. Uh, that is included in the link in uh, our Spotify streams as well as our Apple Music streams. You can go check me out there. Uh, it's a pretty good read. I uh, enjoy writing it. I've been doing it for a long time, actually. And uh, may not be all the, always there. I didn't cover every game last season or the year before. But majority of the games I get, I actually covered the Toronto Maple Leafs playoff run this season. So definitely a great ride. Uh, I'm going to try to diversify my portfolio. And before we end off the show, I just want to quickly touch upon one of the other bigger news that's come across the National Hockey League over this week. Very briefly, uh, Gerard Gallant, the new bench boss in uh, New York, he will be uh, mending the, I like to say the lines, uh, juggling the lines and everything for the New York uh, Rangers. I was about to say Islanders, but the New York Rangers. They have a new coach. Uh, he replaces David Quinn, who was fired in May. Uh, there was a huge thing along there. The GM got fired. Head coach got fired. This is all within the time where Tom Wilson obliterated Broad Street. And uh, the whole hockey news was surrounding New York, Washington, of course, the man at hand, Tom Wilson. And throughout this uh, crossfire was caught with uh, David Quinn and the man- general manager as well. So out with the old and with the new. I don't I think you want to call it Gallant, uh, Gallant new. He is at the year of 57 years of age. But he is coming off a gold medal win for Team Canada, unprobable gold medal win for Team Canada, where he led this team off an ugly start to the uh, tournament to a gold medal. And, uh, I mean, that's all you got to give to him, credit for him. He's already been doing it in the primary stage here, the worldwide stage, and, of course, the National Hockey League stage, where he led the Vegas Golden Knights to an inaugural final. Uh, they did lose to the Washington Capitals, where Ovi won his first, uh, and let's hope not only cup for uh, with his team. But uh, he took them two of the finals in their first year in 2017. Uh, was a big, big. Uh, uh, he, he played a big role in the building up the Vegas Golden Knights and what they are today and how they're doing in this postseason and the continuous runs they continue to make uh, within the playoffs year in year out. So he's a creditor to that, and he has a big resume as well. He also coached the Florida Panthers uh, earlier in his career. That's where I remember him the most. 
uh, during the iffy days in Florida where they were just fighting and clawing, no pun intended, of course, uh, for a playoff spot, a final playoff spot in the divisions and the wild card. So he was a big step there. And, of course, in Columbus in his earlier days in 03 when I was born and, of course, to 07. And uh, let's hope, if you go, if you remember Gallant from uh, a couple of years ago when he left Vegas, he actually was uh, – or not Vegas, rather. When he left Florida, he actually went without a taxi, and they had actually – took him a long time to get to his new destination, which I believe was Vegas, because uh, the taxi didn't come. Well, now being in New York, he's not going to have to struggle with that problem or have to deal with that problem anytime soon. And uh, let's hope for the New York Rangers state uh, fate that he doesn't have to deal with any of that. And uh, the Florida Panthers, he managed that team as well, the Columbus Blue Jackets from 03 to 07. And what he's going to have to bring to the Columbus Blue Jackets, uh, the uh, the Florida Panthers, where he's going to have to transition from Florida to the New York Rangers, is letting the big guys play, letting the big guys evolve as players. He did it with in Florida with Barkov, Huberto, and, of course, a young Aaron Ekblad. He's going to have to continue that success with big, big guys. And it's something David Quinn struggled with this past season uh, with Zbanejad, Panarin, and other, other big names that they have in their organization. So I think he's going to blend well with these, these big-name players. I think he's going to help the New York Rangers. And they're a team that's just sort of fighting to get by within this regular season and uh, getting into a playoff spot. I think it's the big goal for the New York Rangers, something that they're going to have to work towards. I think Gallant is a step in the right direction, especially a bigger step than uh, their prior bench Bosch in David Quinn. But uh, Gallant is going to be interesting storyline to see how he approaches the new divisional alignment. There's going to be a tough uh, opponents in the Metro, the Flyers, the Islanders, uh, the the Washington Capitals. There's so many big opposition. The Penguins were always a great regular season team. Uh, so the New York Islanders, New York Rangers rather, already making headway in this big offseason that's going to look, I wouldn't say a rebuild, but some big changes are soon coming and soon forthcoming. And Gallant was the primary piece to the puzzle. Uh, but that concludes with the final of Gallant. That concludes episode 19 of the Leafs Line podcast. Again, I'm your host, Mario Russo. Uh, you can catch us next week. We will be doing a show. Hopefully there's no holidays on that side of the week. Next Sunday, you can catch us for episode 20. Man, it has been 20 episodes. Whew, what a ride. But yeah, you can catch us on episode 20. Uh, you can actually catch me tomorrow. I'll be most likely doing my Round Tripper podcast. Uh, you can catch me on that end of things. It's going to be a fun time. We've got a lot of off-season shows coming up. <clears throat> Obviously, this NHL is still going on. Playoff hockey is still going on. We'll be covering all of that for you. And, of course, the off-season when it approaches. And, of course, as well, the Maple Leafs. This is the Leafs Line podcast. I'd like to remind you. And... Uh, that's what we're here for, covering all the news with the National Hockey League and, of course, the local team, the Toronto Blues. That does it for me. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. And uh, hopefully next week I'll have my full roster here, Joshua Levesque, Aiden McCullough, and Michael Iaboni. But uh, for now, it's me solo and signing off. Thank you, everyone. Have a great evening, a great Father's Day weekend, and have a great night. Cheers. <laughs>